Good morning, everyone. It's 
every time I think of you, Lord, things you've said and done. Give me life and peace and freedom. There's nothing better than to walk with you. All of my problems seem to disappear. I'm never taking my eyes off you. For you give me courage and remove my fear. I'm yours and thankful you are mine. changed since the day you came and saved me now every day's brand new last become an awesome journey there's nothing better than to walk with you all of my problems seem to disappear I'm never taking my eyes off you For you give me courage and remove my fear I'm yours and thankful you are mine Whether I live or die Whether I'm rich or poor health or in pain, whether lonely or in a crowd, I'm yours and thankful you are mine. The future don't scare me, because I know you're there waiting for me, soon I'm going home. I cannot wait to be in your presence There's nothing better than to walk with you All of my problems seem to disappear I'm never taking my eyes off you for you give me courage and remove the fear I'm yours and thankful you are mine Whether I live or die Whether I'm rich or poor Whether in health or in pain Whether lonely or in a crowd I'm yours and thankful you are mine. All right, good morning again. I'll be right back with you. Let me hang up my guitar, please.
Alrighty. And uh, good morning all, again to all of you. And I'm just looking at my camera. I have, I have when it gets dark here, it's, but we've had thunderstorms and uh, cloudy overcast weather here. So, um, so I have to just increase the light in the room. I have two, I have a light right here at the window here, but my light back of me. So it might be f flickering off my head. <laughs> the problem having a bald head is that I have a beautiful overhead light here, but it'd be shining off my bald head and might blind you with the reflection. So I'm, when, one of these days I might try and see what, if it, how bad it looks, but it is what it is. I look as, as it, I don't have any makeup. This is all natural, okay? No makeup, no, you know, no blush <laughs> for my, my pale face. So uh, good morning to all of you, and uh, we're continuing our study of Ephesians, and we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, the B part, which uh, talks about the purpose of the Father electing the church age believer in eternity past. So this will wrap up our study of Ephesians 1, 4. And then starting Saturday, next, this coming Saturday and next week, Tuesday and Thursday and next week, we'll be looking at verse 5. It'll be three uh, hours in that lesson, uh, that, that verse. So uh, so I'm taking, as I like to take my time going through this because it's some very, very deep stuff, very good. I mean, I could, I could spend a couple of weeks on each of these verses probably. But, so, and elaborate on them. And uh, so anyway, and talk about what's, the doctrines that, that are mentioned in detail, like election and predestination we'll be looking into as well. But uh, we've actually did election and predestination in relation to uh, uh, several years back when we did our study on the church when I was in Marion, Iowa. And I'm probably going to do that study in, in, uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, where I'm the pastor here at Doctrine and Bible Church right down the road, half mile down the road. So, and uh, so um, last night we had class uh, services. So if you're in the, in, in the Huntsville area, Huntsville, Alabama, uh, we teach over at Doctrine and Bible Church on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Remember, Alabama's Central Time. And then on Sunday mornings, we have two sessions and we have a break in between sessions. Each session is about an hour. And uh, so we do a... Uh, Bert does a hymn with the congregation and the, to begin both sessions, and I close out with a song at the end of the, the, the lesson. And the first Sunday of each month, we observe the Lord's Supper, so this sun, Sunday we'll be observing the Lord's Supper. And for Wednesday Bible Ministries, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper the first Saturday of each month. So this coming Saturday, we, we will be um, observing the Lord's Supper. And so um, at Doctrine Bible Church, uh, so we start around 9.30, and... Um, and then we end around around twelve o'clock or so. So, um, but uh, that's uh, where I am now, and uh, and so I'm continuing to write and teach for uh, Winston Bible Ministry. So we have a pretty pretty busy schedule. Uh, uh, I teach Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday mornings at eleven a.m. for Winston Bible Ministries Expository Type Ministry, and also as I, I give you the schedule for Doctrine and Bible Church. So, and all my classes for DBC are, are recorded. The audio will eventually will do the video. But all the audio, and you can you can access those classes from Hunts uh, that we're doing at over here at Dunkin' Bible Church on Wednesday and Sunday mornings, uh, Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings. You can work go through Wednesday.org, uh, our website, Wednesday Bible Ministries, and you'll see listen to classes at Doctrinal Bible Church, Huntsville, Alabama, and there'll be a link to our uh, the MP3, MP4s, and also the links to our podcast. Uh, so I put all these classes at Doctrinal Bible Church on our Wednesday Bible Ministries podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. All you have to do is search for Winston Bible Ministries in those different platforms. And uh, so uh, we have a YouTube page as well. I just uh, I put my uh, have playlists for everything we've done since 2011, since we've been on YouTube. And we do stream, uh, the live video broadcasts through YouTube. We didn't start using it until 
I went to Massachusetts. When we were in Iowa, we used Titus and uh, uh, used another service, which was really good. But uh, YouTube is really good because now they have, if you look at the closed captioning, you got closed captioning now. So you can, you know, it's, it's pretty neat. And um, um, it, it's really, you know, we, we were looking at for people who were, uh, had problems hearing that were following my teaching. So um, we'd have people, you know, typing in what I was saying a lot of times. And they, plus they had my notes. But, you know, uh, the closed captioning is really, the pro that uh, technology is really advanced. So uh, we, I've been very happy with YouTube uh, since uh, we started. So hope, hopefully we don't have any problems with YouTube today. Uh, very pretty, st pretty stable. Once in a while you might have a problem. But uh, um, one time they had, um, they actually, um, they actually, uh, what do they call it? Um, one of my classes, they actually red flagged or something and they, they wouldn't show it or something. And it turns out that they made a mistake. And they're, they're analytic. It's all the analytics. So it's not like somebody listens to or watches every one of your cl the classes. It's just analytics. They uh, search for certain things. So they apologized to me, actually. And so they were very nice about it after I said, hey, what did I say? <laughs> and that so anyway, so, um, and it's also we had some, uh, keep some prayer here. We had tremendous weather last night here in Huntsville. After I got home from class, I grabbed a bike to eat at the Thai food place down the road from me, which they have really good Thai food. And uh, so I get home and I was going to smoke a cigar on the porch and I did and I was uh, just relaxing and it was pretty calm, but I knew there was thunderstorms would be coming and and then, uh, you know, next thing I know, you know, was the sirens are going off. <laughs> so there was a thunderstorm, uh, a, a tornado watch up till 11 o'clock last night almost. And uh, so we had a big supercell off to the west of us and it kind of dissipated once it got near Huntsville. I was praying like a son of a gun. <laughs> I just got here, Lord, don't wipe me out. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. So I was, uh, you know, I had, uh, it was, um, it was quite a, uh, quite a thing. And uh, I mean, it was, it, it went off, the sirens went off twice while I was, uh, you know, smoking my cigars. I said, Lord, can I please finish my cigar before the, the tornado starts smacking around here? But um, what's interesting, they told me uh, that uh, up on Airport Road, where we meet uh, a, a breakfast place over there on Airport Road down the road from me, that whole road back in the 90s was wiped out. I mean, there were people in cars alive in the trees on po on uh, on telephone poles. Seriously. So I was like, holy smokes. So they got, they got tornadoes down here. I've had tornadoes in Iowa. In fact, I've never really seen a funnel cloud in Iowa. A little one, one time, but uh, and I saw a rotation over in the cornfield. But there's a couple of instances where uh, came close. I had uh, one time I was in, we were finishing class, and I remember going. We broadcast the class live, and and I was just saying in, in the closing prayer, and I said in Jesus' name, Amen. And then the sirens go off, and then that's when we we cut. Um, I wonder what's going on here. Am I having problems right now? With my video for YouTube, is this is this this too this is too funny? Didn't I just say that, huh? Wow, that's too funny. We have a, have a little bit of problem with the uh, with YouTube here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that's funny. So let me just let me just check here something. So is, what did I just tell you? Isn't that funny? And uh, all of a sudden, now uh, YouTube, uh, what do you call it? It's not playing. I got an error. 
Well, you know what? It, it, I don't see an error. That's weird. Okay. So anyways, I have some kind of thing going. It's saying I have an error, but I don't know the play the thing. So I'm just going to keep going. And if it, uh, if it doesn't play for the, hopefully the people who are live, I mean, I just checked on it. It looks like you can, you can see it. So I don't know what's going on. So sorry about that. So anyway, see what I tell you? All of a sudden I have a little thing that's, <laughs> that just cracks me up. So, um, but it's saying it has an error in the playback. So that's on my, on this end. So I don't know what's going on there. So, but, um, I'm looking at it on my other computer here. It looks like it's, it's broadcasting live. So anyways, let's get going. <laughs> so we had tornadoes last night. So we didn't get hit with anyone. And they, 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 um, around 11, we finally, they finally stopped uh, doing the tornado warnings. So anyways, um, we're going to, uh, continue our study of Ephesians. And I was going to tell you something that, that I got interrupted. I just think that's absolutely hilarious. It says there's an error in the playback here, but it's broadcasting live. So if it's not, I'll just take the recording and upload it to YouTube. So if the people, hopefully the people who are listening, watching me live will be able to have, uh, be able to watch this. So anyways, uh, let's take, uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer. And, uh, and as we normally do, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, to determine if we're in fellowship with God, because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing, and we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation you're working on behalf of the eternity past, the personal work of your Son of the Cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. And we pray that the Holy Spirit do a mighty work to all of us here this uh, morning. And we just thank you for those who might be joining us live. I just pray, Father, for the technology that I pray that we just really funny, Father, that I mentioned about YouTube's being really good in this leaving, streaming live video. And but my playback thing here is showing as the, an error, but it looks like it is broadcasting. So thank you for that. And I thank you for those who are joining us live. And I pray, Father, that uh, everything will function properly with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and upload these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. And I just pray, Father, that you would help your people in the audience to learn, understand what's being taught, make application by the power of the Spirit. Please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up with that from happening. I also pray, Father, that you help the unsaved in the audience to help them to learn, understand the gospel through the power of the Spirit so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. And we know that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. I also pray, of course, for myself, help me to be humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction by the power of the Spirit. I'm going to communicate your full counsel with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so I can minister to you people and any unsaved and do all you will for my life. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you should be at, um, you should be at uh, first, um, 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and we're continuing our study of Ephesians, and uh, we are going to be finishing off Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and the, the, the purpose clause that's found that in that passage, the infinitival purpose clause, which teaches us that the purpose of the Father electing the church-age believer in eternity past is that they might be uh, holy and unsensurable in the presence of the Father and the judgment of the Father, as we'll see. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, as we normally do. Let's look at, uh, we'll read for the NIV today. Let's read the first 14 verses, which constitute basically the introduction and the, uh, the preface uh, to the letter. And uh, so uh, we'll, uh, if, if you look at, uh, and then we'll uh, look at verse 4 in detail. So it says in Ephesians 1, 1, it says, Paul, and I'm reading again from the NIV, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in a conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So uh, we see here that uh, this preface uh, we have the introduction the first two verses. Paul identifies himself as the author. And uh, as we pointed out, he uh, he also identifies the recipients. As we pointed out, they're not just the Christian community in Ephesus, but this was a circular letter that was directed to uh, all the, the churches in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, it's a circular letter as indicated, as we pointed out in our introduction and when we studied verse 1, uh, by the fact there's no personal references to people in this letter, which we would expect since Paul spent... Uh, three years in Ephesus teaching, and uh, that's according to Acts 18, 19, and 20. And also, we saw that the prepositional phrase uh, in Ephesus, or at the word there for Ephesus, is not found in the, some of the oldest and best manuscripts that we have. Of course, many do have it, and this is telling us that uh, this is another indication that this was a circular letter. In fact, we have evidence that it, it was from Martian, one of the ancients, he saw this same letter but it was addressed to the Laodiceans. And this is what many people believe that Colossians talks about the letter to the Laodiceans. They think that is a reference to this, what we call today the Ephesian letter, which I think is true as well. So it was uh, written by Paul from Rome in around 60 to 62 AD uh, in, his in his first Roman imprisonment, which resulted in his uh, re um, release. He was awaiting his appeal before Caesar. He writes this letter, sends it at the hand of uh, Tychicus, uh, like he did with the Colossian and a Philemon letter, and he delivers it to Ephesus. Copies were made. It was then transported down the road to Laodicea and then throughout the various churches in the Roman Empire. And so um, I was going to show you, let's see if I could show you. Yeah, let's do this. 
no, this is not what I want. This, let's try this here. Just looking at the maps. Okay. Let me give you this, uh, find the map here. So while I'm searching for it, it's Paul's, uh, what is it? It's a third missionary, second missionary journey. Yeah, okay, here we go. So if you, I'll blow this up a little bit for you. So here we, just to give you an idea, and I, we went over this already, but just quickly by way, way of review. So here's Paul, it sent, comes in from Rome, and let me change the pen here. Comes in from Rome, and it goes into Ephesus. Here's Ephesus, and let me just do another. There we go. Okay, they'll put it in green. How's that? So let's blow this up. Let me see. All right, here we go. So we're going to blow this up. And so I come in. He comes in from Ephesus, take a kiss, and then it goes, it gets a copy there, it goes down to Laodicea, and then it goes to probably Smyrna or, uh, Smyrna or Sardis and Pergamum, all these cities here in the Roman province of Asia. Okay? So that's where this letter was actually intended for. It's just a circular letter, just like um, 1 John was. And so those same churches you see in Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia, these are the churches that he was probably raising, uh, writing to, Paul. So it's a circular letter, and then he gives a spirit-inspired greeting in verse 2, uh, which is basically uh, wanting a desire that he, a prayer that he offered up to the Father that the contents, spirit-inspired contents, which constitute the grace of God, uh, would uh, be manifested in and among the recipients of this letter, and that as a result, there'd be peace in the souls of these individuals that receive this letter and when interacting with each other as believers. So the, he wants, he's a prayer that they obey the contents of this letter. And then in verses 3 through 14, we have the preface of the letter, uh, which is basically, the preface of the letter is basically a uh, the doxology. And interestingly enough, you have the praise of his glory or his glorious grace. We have that in verse five, uh, 6, which... Uh, uh, finishes off, uh, finishes off a discussion about the Father's work in eternity past and electing and predestinating the church, church age believer in verses 3 through 5. And then in verses 7 through 12 is a discussion of the, the finished work of Christ on the cross and redeeming us. And that was for the praise of the Father's glory, as it says in verse 12. And then in verses 13 and 14, we have a, a brief discussion about the Holy Spirit and His work at, for us at our justification. And so uh, at, at our justification. So that uh, was for the praise of the Father's glory as well. So that we have a Trinitarian, a triadic pattern in this preface, which is uh, the preface to the letter, this, this section, verses 3 through 14. Also, uh, and, and we have, a, 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 um, a as we pointed out, and uh, when we studied verse 3, verse 3 is actually a, um, a, uh, a triadic pattern as well. Let me show you my translation of verse uh, 3, if I could, on the board. And I'll just, uh, so it says, The God, namely the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise, namely because he's the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit, notice the capital S, spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So uh, I interpret this word, pneumatikos, uh, uh, as not as an, ad, as an adjective, it is an adjective, and that's why they translate it spiritual in the modern translations, all of them pretty much. But as as, um, as uh, Gordon Fee pointed out, and I quoted from him in his, his empowering presence, the, the discussion of the Holy Spirit, which is a great book, by the way. Um, be, all these blessings are appropriated by the Spirit for us at the moment of our justification. And so that's very important. So that's why I translated spirit-appropriated blessing. So it's adjectival, the clause, spirit-appropriated blessing, 
but we have the Holy Spirit who's behind. Even if you say there's spiritual blessings, we know the Holy Spirit's behind these spiritual blessings because they're basically spiritual blessings means spiritual means that there's spirit appropriated blessings. So we're teasing it out more in the translation. So, uh, so then, uh, so therefore, we have a triadic pattern in, in, in this preface in verses three through fourteen, and a triadic pattern in verse three, which means again, and we studied it in our, in our study of the Trinity uh, when I was at. And Western Bible Ministries in Iowa, and also recently at Doctrine Bible Church a couple of months ago, uh, it's uh, that's a, a triadic pattern means we see each member of the Trinity mentioned in the passage. So that's what we have going on here in verse three and verses three through fourteen. So uh, if you look at my translation again of Ephesians chapter one verses three and four, we'll just read these two verses from my translation. It says, "The God, namely the Father of the Lord who, ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise." namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For he chose each and every one of us for his own purpose because of him alone before creation in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment. So as we noted in our study of Ephesians 1-3, this verse marks a transition in this epistle from the introduction to the preface of the letter in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-14, which marks the beginning of the body of this letter. This preface, as we pointed out, begins the first major section of this epistle, which ends, this first major section ends in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 21. And it addresses this section, the unity of the church positionally. As we pointed out, we have the uh, indicatives of the Christian faith uh, in verses chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then we get into the imperatives in verses 4, 5, and 6. Basically, the application of what has been taught in the first three verses is taught in the last three verses of this epistle. We also noted that Ephesians 1.3 contains two declarative statements. The first is elliptical, and the second is epexegetical, meaning explanatory. And it's also a causal clause, this explanatory clause. And it's presenting the reason for the first uh, statement, which is, as I said before, elliptical, which asserts that God the Father is worthy of praise in the sense that he possesses attributes which are worthy of praise. Now, the second declarative statement, as I said before, is epexegetical, explanatory, and that means it identifies specifically for the reader why the Father is worthy of praise, and it asserts that he is the one who has blessed Paul and recipients of this epistle, and all church-age believers for that matter, by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Then... In verse 4, Paul presents the second reason why the Father is worthy of praise. He asserts that he chose each and every church-age believer for his own purpose before the act of creating the time-matter-space continuum, creation, in order that they would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. So therefore, uh, a comparison of the contents of Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 indicates that the Father is worthy of praise because, quote-unquote, he chose Paul and the recipients of this letter and all church-age believers for his own purpose in Christ before creating the time-matter-space continuum in order that they would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. Now, in the rest of the class, we're going to, that was just a brief review we covered in the first four verse, uh, three verses and the first statement in verse uh, four, we're going to look at the infinitival purpose clause that we see at, that completes verse four. So, uh, the uh, the word that the the, pre, the in in the Greek text the expression ex ex elezato ex elezata 
is how you pronounce it, the Exalezata, uh, Hamas, and Ato Pro Kataboles Kazmu, which I translate, he the Father chose each and every one of us for his own purpose because of him alone, before the act of creating the time, time out of space continuum, or we could say before creation. So that we see here uh, that this particular expression refers to God the Father in eternity past, electing those members of the human race who would be declared justified by the Father through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. He elected them in the sense that he, in his foreknowledge, the Father's foreknowledge, foreknowledge, which is based upon his omniscience, knew before anything was ever created that the church-age believer would believe in his Son in time. In other words, God the Father elected them before the foundation of the world because he knew beforehand that they would accept his Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior in time. He elected them to the privilege of possessing an eternal relationship and fellowship with himself and the other two members of the Trinity. So as we pointed out, the doctrine of election is never used in Scripture in relation to the unbeliever because First uh, Timothy 2.4 and 2 Second uh, Peter 3.9 teach that God desires all people to be saved. So there are, as we pointed out in our last class, three elections to privilege in history. Uh, well, actually, we saw this in our study of verse 3. One, we have Israel. Two, Christ. And number three, the church, of course. Now, the referent of the date of masculine singular form of the intensive personal pronoun, autos, him alone, is referring to Jesus Christ, and this contains the figure of metonymy, which means that the person of Christ is actually put for the church-age believers' faith in Christ and their resultant union identification with him. So this is indicated by the fact that in eternity past, the Father in his omniscience saw that the church-age believer would trust in his Son as their Savior, which not only results in the Father declaring them justified, but it also results in the Holy Spirit identifying them with Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. In other words, people, the Father elected them in eternity past because of the merits of their object of their faith at justification, Christ, and because also of the merits of their identification with Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. So furthermore, we noted that the prepositional phrase and auto, because of him alone in my translations, translation, is uh, ma- marking every church of age believer's faith in Christ at justification, as well as their union identification with him. Uh, as the reason why the Father chose them before the foundation of the world in order that they would be holy and unblemished in His judgment. So the Father elected them to possess an eternal relationship and fellowship with Himself and the other two members of the Trinity because in His omniscience, He saw that they would in time trust in His Son as Savior. So this resulted again in the Holy Spirit identifying them with His Son and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. And then the prepositional phrase which I read for you a little while ago, pro Karaboles kasmu, is expressing the idea that the Father chose the church-age believer because of Christ before creation, or as we pointed out, before the act of creating the time-matter-space continuum. Now, the infinitival purpose clause, which I want to talk about uh, for the rest of the class. Uh, it's uh, it's the, the infinitival purpose clause in the Greek. Here's the Greek here. Ainai, hemas, hagius, kai, Amomus katanopion atu, which is translated by myself, in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment. The Net Bible, they translate it uh, as that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight. The NIV, they translate this particular prepositional phrase, uh, get it for you here, to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
Anyway, as we'll point out, in love doesn't belong with verse 4. It belongs with verse 5, as we'll say. Uh, the ESV, uh, they translate it, uh, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And again, as I pointed out to you, I translate this in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment. So this purpose clause is presenting the purpose for which the Father elected the church age believer before the act of creating creation or creating the time out of space continuum, we could say. So therefore, this infinitive purpose clause indicates that the Father elected us, the church age believer, before the act of creating the time out of space continuum because of Christ, because of our faith in Him and our identification with Him. He did this for the purpose of them, the church age believer, possessing the characteristics of being holy and blameless in His judgment. So again, this purpose clause indicates that the Father elected us before creation because of our faith and identification with Christ for the purpose of possessing the characteristics of being holy and blameless and his judgment. So this brings out something that I find interesting that some Christians don't seem to get because they have they think, um, you know, that because we have still have a volition that when we're in a resurrection body, there's still a potential for us sinning. There'll be no potential for us sinning at all. And, uh, you know, first of all, the Father did not save us through faith in his Son and the work of the Father, or the Son and the Spirit so that we could sin. Okay, he saved us so we could be delivered from sin. So Paul talks about this, the, the, the will as being in bondage to the sin nature and the devil's world and the deception of Satan. So he's going to, the, the, so where our, that's why he says in Romans 6, you know, make yourselves slaves to righteousness rather than unrighteousness. Meaning we now have the capacity to say no to what the will of the flesh is, the sin nature and the will of the devil. Okay, now we can obey the will of God. So once we're in a resurrection body, which is minus the sin nature so that we won't have the indwelling temptation of the sin nature, uh, and then we'll be, Satan will be removed. But when we're perfected in a resurrection body, uh, we'll never sin again. So that's very, very, um, it's very exciting to think about. I, I don't think we really think about that enough. And I know that some Christians, they think that they're less of a Christian because, um, because they think about the rapture happening or, you know, heaven and stuff. And, you know, it doesn't mean because you think about heaven or you think about uh, the rapture that you're uh, less of a Christian or that you're, no, you're running away from your problems, okay? Some people do use the rapture as an excuse not to deal with their problems. We're not talking about that. Paul says we're to anticipate the rapture or the resurrection of the church. Uh, look at, uh, hold your place. We're, we're in Ephesians. Go, go to Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter um, 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, let's look at verse 20. No, excuse me. Yeah, Philippians 3, 20. What did I say? Yeah. All right. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait. We're eagerly waiting a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we'll be like his glorious body. Notice he says, we, he's including himself, we're eagerly awaiting him at the rapture of the church. You know, so, you know, so how can you say anticipating the rapture is a bad thing? It actually should motivate, it actually is designed, the imminency of the rapture, meaning it could happen at any time, is actually motivation to keep short accounts with God 
Now, some people don't need that. They don't need the rapture to motivate them. That's great, okay? But some of us do, okay? It's encouragement. It's God designed it so that you would, it would help you in, to maintain your sanctification, maintain your fellowship with God. And so that's very important what he says. We're eagerly awaiting a Savior from there. Look at John talks about this, First John. Look at First John 3, verse 1. First John 3, 1, it says, See what great love, let me blow up the screen so it's full screen for you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. We're perfected in a resurrection body. We'll manifest ourselves as the, the sons of God of the second advent of Christ. But we know that when Christ appears, and that's the rapture, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. And now look what He says. All who have this hope, and hope means a confident expectation of blessing. What blessing is that? The resurrection body at the rapture. How's that for a blessing? And rewards for faithful service that immediately follow at the payment seat. So all those who have, all Christians who have this confident expectation of Christ appearing and perfecting them in a resurrection body, purify themselves. Just as he is pure. Purify themselves means they experience their sanctification. They stay in, stay in fellowship with God. So the imminency of the rapture, the rapture coming and the anticipation of that, which we're supposed to eagerly anticipate, is going to help us with our sanctification. That's what the Word of God says. Okay? It says that. There it is. So, you know, you're not, don't, uh, for the super-duper Christians who think that they don't need the rapture, maybe they don't. That's great. But don't tell me it does, it's not a motivation for living a, 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 the spiritual life. It sure is. John says that. Paul says that. So, uh, and I can take it other places, too. So, uh, we see here, if you look back at my notes, we see that, uh, that um, this phrase, the infinitive purpose clause, which I translate, in order that each and every one of us would be uh, holy as well as insensible in his judgment, as I said before, presents the purpose for which the Father elected us before the creation. Therefore, it indicates, this purpose clause indicates that he elected us before creation because of our faith in Christ and our identification with him for the purpose of us possessing the characteristics of being holy and blameless in his judgment. So what does it mean to be holy? Holy, hagios. It describes Paul and the recipients of this epistle as being set apart through the baptism of the Spirit, the moment of justification, in order to serve God exclusively. Uh, the big passages on sanctification, look at Romans 6. And we, taught, we went to that passage in the past many times. Uh, when we studied this subject of sanctification and when we were in Romans and other places, many times, and Colossians 3 is the same thing. You know, it talks about the sanctification of the believer. Paul talks about the sanctification of the believer in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, hold your place. Um, look at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. First Thessalonians 4.1, Paul writes, and I'm reading from the NIV, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living to please God, of course. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You never arrive. He says, keep, keep, keep persevering. Keep getting better. Don't settle for being what you are. You can always be better. And staying I mean, in your relationship with God, more, you could be more obedient. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. So he wants them to experience their, sex, uh, their uh, sanctification, and that would involve avoiding sexual immorality. So that's very important. Um, so uh, sanctification, so he's basically, um, with the Thessalonians, because they're Gentiles, 
uh, sexual immorality was a big problem with them. The Jews didn't have sexual immorality, but they didn't have it to the extent that the the, uh, the Gentiles did. So Paul's writing to Gentiles here. We know that clearly from the first chapter. He tells them that. And for what he says in the contents of this letter. And so uh, we see that uh, we... You know, he, he's concerned about them because they, they came from the background where they used to worship uh, gods in various temples, like, uh, and they would uh, worship, uh, and, and part of their worship was to have sex with temple prostitutes, male and female. Homosexuality was acceptable. If, like, for instance, with men, it was un, not unusual for men to have uh, boys as, uh, as uh, sexual partners, along with women. And uh, it was considered not a bad thing, but it was bad if the guy, uh, the man was a receiver. That's just telling me what they did in the ancient world. So in America, we think we got it so bad, and it's getting worse, but it was not as bad as it was in Paul's day. In fact, Paul alludes to the fact that some of them were homosexual, practicing homosexuals in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which also talks about sanctification to a certain extent. So look at verse 3. It says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans, unbelievers, who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And he's, he's implying, um, you know, uh, adulterous affairs. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So, you can go back now to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. So, as we can see on my boat, uh, my notes, uh, the word holy there, hagios, is uh, describing Paul and the uh, recipients of this letter as being set apart through the baptism of the Spirit at the moment of justification in order to serve God exclusively. The adjective amomos, translated uncensurable, it describes Paul and the recipients of this epistle as being free from official reprimand, free from censure, and the judgment of the Father. And so the reference to being uh, holy as well as uncensurable again refers to the, to the sanctification of the believer, which as we pointed out many times in the past is a technical theological term for the believer who has been set apart through the baptism of the Spirit, the moment of conversion, justification, in order to serve God exclusively. It's accomplished in three stages, positional, experiential, and perfective. Positional is what is uh, God accomplished at the moment of our justification, Positional means this is how God views us. This is what he did for us uh, through both the Son and the Spirit. And it sets up the guarantee of being perfected in a resurrection body at the rapture, the resurrection of the church, which is imminent. And it also sets up the potential to experience this sanctification in time, i.e. fellowship. And so I say potential because it all is based upon volitional decisions. As we saw, you can see it in Romans 6, Colossians 3, this, that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's up to the Christian to make a volitional decision to appropriate by faith their union identification with Christ to, uh, to deal with the temptation to sin. So it's a potential. You have to make good decisions. And if you fail, we all do, confess 1 John 1, 9, confess the sin, and to maintain that fellowship, once you've been restored through the confession of sin, then you, you will obey God to maintain that fellowship. And so all three stages of sanctification refer to the process of conforming the believer into the image of Jesus Christ, which is the Father's plan from eternity past. Romans 8, 28 through 30 teaches us that. So therefore, people, when Paul asserts that the Father elected us, the church-age believer, before the act of creating the time, matter, space continuum because of his Son, Jesus Christ, for the purpose of them being holy and blameless in his judgment, he's speaking of these three stages 
of the believer's sanctification. So the expression, Hagius Kai Amomus, uh, holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment, is how I translate it. It actually echoes Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, it, because it contains the same exact expression. Look at my translation of Colossians 1, 21 and 22 on the board, please. All right, Colossians chapter 1, 21 and 22, my translation. Indeed, because each and every one of you at one time existed in the state of being alienated to, from God, specifically enemies of God, because of your attitude, because of your evil actions. Verse 22, he has now in fact reconciled each and every one of you by means of his body, Christ is human nature, composed of human flesh by means of his death, his suffering the wrath of God, his substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths on the cross. And that which propitiated the fathers, we pointed out a study of propitiation. Then it says, the purpose of which is to present each and every one of you as holy, uncensurable, and unaccusable in his presence. So these two words, hagios, holy, and amomos, uncensurable, are both also appeared together in Ephesians 5.27 in relation to the sanctification of the church age believer. Look at Ephesians 5.25, 26, and 27 in the Net Bible. It says, husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. There it is. Now, in this infinitival purpose clause in Ephesians 1.4, if you look in the Net Bible, it's, they say, uh, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And then it says, in his sight. Okay? And, and when it says, for chose us in him, that's a, a very important as well. But we see here that in verse 4, his refers to the Father, who is the nearest antecedent. So, in this infinitive purpose clause, in Ephesians 1.4, the genitive third person masculine single form of the intensive personal pronoun, autos, his, refers to the Father who's the nearest antecedent. And this is indicated by the fact that the Father is identified in verse 3 as the one who has blessed the church-age believer by means of every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And remember also, he identified uh, the Father, identified in, uh, in verse 4 as having, is identified in verse 4 as having chosen or elected the believer because of their faith in Christ in time at justification before creation. So this word, autos, is the object of the preposition katanopion, which means in the judgment of, since it functions as a marker of position relative to someone who is viewed as having a jurisdiction or authority, whether visibly present or not. So if you look at the NIV, it says, in his sight, okay? So the word autos is translated his there, okay? Now, if you look at the net Bible, it says, in his sight. They follow the NIV, the ESV, before him. But if you notice, I translate it in his judgment, okay? And here's why. Because that prepositional phrase, katanopion, it means in the judgment of, because it's functioning as a marker of a position relative to someone who's viewed as having jurisdiction or authority over someone, whether visibly present or not. So here, this preposition is used to Paul and the recipients of this letter and every church-age believer possessing the characteristics of being holy and uncensurable in the judgment of the Father. Why? Because he elected them 
because of their faith in Christ in time of justification and because of their union identification with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. So this judgment will take place after the church age believer will be perfected in a resurrection body and will no longer sin again. So when we get a resurrection body at the rapture of the resurrection of the church, which is imminent, when we get that, we'll be perfected, okay? Now, immediately following that, we have to go to the Bama seat, which is where it's determined whether we uh, merit rewards or not. So let me uh, quickly show you. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We studied this doctrine in the past, the Bama seat, and we've gone over this many times in the past, but let's look at 2 Corinthians 5 for a second before we close. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. Paul talks about the resurrection body and then the Bama seat here. So he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 1. So I'm taking you this passage because after we get the resurrection body, now we have to, after that reunion with loved ones and, of course, meeting the Lord for the first time face-to-face, visibly, uh, then we'll go to the Bema Seat. Christ will conduct the Bema Seat where it's determined whether we were good in life as Christians, good stewards with the time, talent, and treasure and truth that he gave us. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, actually refers to this, a resurrection body and also the Bema Seat. So 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God as an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, the resurrection body. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore... We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith in this life, faith in God's word, not by sight. Then he says, we're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's another indication that Paul would rather have been in a resurrection body perfected uh, or dead physically and in the presence of the Lord face to face with him than be in this world. He says that in Philippians as well, to live as Christ, to die as prophet. I'd rather be with Christ. It's much, it's, it's superior to being, staying here on earth with you guys. Why? Because we have to deal with sin all the time. We're not, our, we're not perfected yet. So it's something we should be eagerly anticipating. So then he says in verse nine, so we make it our goal to please him in this life, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it, dead or the rapture. And here's why we should do this. For we must all appear for the Bama seat, the word judgment seat is the word bema. For we are all, we will all, all believers, no exceptions, will be appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So then once we've got the resurrection body and the rewards, okay, for faithful service, then we're presented to the Father. We're presented to the Father and uh, and that will fulfill that that passage we just saw, uh, that you know, the purpose there, the, we, the uh, he elected us. What we say in, uh, in my translation, uh, for he chose us, the Father elected us, each one of us, for his own purpose, because of him alone, before the creation, before creation, in order that each and every one of us would be holy, as well as unsensible in his judgment. And so, when we st- after we've got our resurrection body and rewards to faithful service, the Father, uh, the Son, presents us to 
he goes to, into heaven because the Bema seat takes place in the earth's atmosphere, the resurrection in the earth's atmosphere, invisible to the world. But then after we get the rewards and the resurrection body, we, he takes us to heaven, to his father's house. The marriage is consummated between his bride, himself and the, his bride, the church, and we're presented before the father. So it says in, in Revelation 3, 5, alluding to this, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the, that name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name, that person, before my father and his angels. And whoever he is, has he has let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. So we're going to be presented to the presented to the Father. And uh, so, very important. So uh, we have a, a great, uh, we see the purpose here of election was that we would be, our sanctification, that we would, uh, positional, experiential, and perfective, when we get a resurrection body, the rapture, the resurrection of the church, and then rewards for faithful service, then we'll be wholly uncensurable or blameless in the, in the, in the judgment of the Father. So, uh, so he looks at us, you know, as identification with Christ tells us, he looks at us as not according to our sins and transgressions, but crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. He says that in Colossians 3, Ephesians 2, as we'll see. So he looks at us not according to our sins. Now, when we sin and we have sinful patterns of behavior and we don't confess our sins, he'll discipline us from his attribute of love. But he doesn't look at us as, as, he, as he does the unbeliever who are under his wrath. So we're not under the wrath of God. We're in the place of blessing. So if he, he does discipline us, it's only so that he can give us blessings that he's already given to us. He wants us to experience those blessings in time many of which we can't experience until we're in a resurrection body. But, uh, but there are, he wants us to experience the blessing of having fellowship with him, which is much better for us. So very important study. We're elected so that we could be perfected in a resurrection body, ultimately, is what he's saying, and holy and blameless in his sight. So we'll pick this up, and uh, hopefully my, uh, this, uh, I, I, the uh, playback, the, the broadcast on YouTube was fine. It, look, it says it's been running at night. I just can't see the playback. I can't see the, I can't see the video, which is not a big deal to me because I can see it through my, my um, camera uh, thing I have here. But um, So I'm glad you were all able to join us, and uh, we'll pick this up on Saturday uh, at 11 a.m. Uh, Central Time, and we'll be observing the Lord's Supper this Saturday as well, and uh, we'll be looking begin to look at Ephesians 1.5. We'll have be three hours in that uh, verse, uh, and starting on this Saturday. So thank you for joining us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen.